Hello everyone and welcome to Birmingham Citadel. Welcome to Birmingham Citadel. Welcome to Birmingham Citadel. Welcome to Birmingham Citadel. Bienvenue à Birmingham Citadel. Bienvenido à Birmingham Citadel. Voyez madame, na Birmingham Citadel. Welcome to 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 Jurassic Park. Sorry, Birmingham Citadel. Welcome to Birmingham Citadel. Welcome to Birmingham Citadel. Welcome to Birmingham Citadel. Over the years, I've certainly come to understand that the Sergeant Major's role has many attributes. No, it's okay, you can leave, exit stage right. In my home corps, growing up as a child, our Sergeant Major was a lady. And she always gave this wonderful air of being in charge in all circumstances. She was one of the first to greet visitors at the door with such a pleasant smile and such a, a wonderful manner. And she would deal with any issues that arose. Our hall in Holly is still there. My, my home core is um, still in that hall. It was on a main road, but was, was very much part of a housing estate. And the main doors to the foyer weren't at the front. They were at the side, in the side street. And like most core... Sundays were very busy. There was plenty of time between the meeting for us kids to play and run around and do what kids do in Salvation Army halls. And you know, there are many things I remember about that hall. Even though I've only been in it on occasions over the last 32 years, very rarely, there are still things that are very vivid to me. In our foyer, there was a mosaic crest in the floor, beautiful mosaic crest. And then on one of the walls was the great familiar Warner Salmon's picture of Jesus. If you've forgotten what it looks like, that is it. How many halls were adorned with Warner Salmon's picture of Jesus, blue-eyed and beautiful hair? On the other side of the foyer was the customary picture of the founder, sat in his chair. We always had children playing in the street outside the hall, and from time to time, each Sunday, they would come into the hall, and our sergeant major was swift to intercept them very quickly, just in case they were going to cause trouble. And I remember very clearly one incident, one Sunday afternoon, between the praise meeting and the evening salvation meeting, a couple of boys came in, and Flory dashed to the door, she was beautiful. She was lovely with them. And she engaged in conversation. And whilst talking, one of those boys caught, sound of the found, caught sight of the founder's picture. And I remember as clear as crystal ball what he said to her. He said, Oi, missus, is that God? 
A history lesson from Flory quickly followed, which was my cue to depart the scene as quickly as I could. But I can understand this young boy's confusion. His image of God was a man sat in the clouds with white hair and a flowing beard. And so his curiosity, the minute he sees the founder, was aroused. And he put two and two together. Oi, missus, is that God? Actually, our images of God are key within our spiritual journey. When we pray, when we come to worship, we have some idea of God in our minds that influences what we do and what we say. This morning, as you've sat here for the last hour, you'll have had images of God in your mind. And that will have affected what you've done. Equally so, the images of God that we have affect our behaviour. They affect our ethics. And those images that we have of God are influenced by many factors. Every single one of us has an image of God in our minds and I want you to just stop for a moment I want you to just pause in the meeting and I want you to do some thinking what is the image of God that you currently have in your mind you must have one you sat here worshipping him what is the image that you've got in your mind as you sit there Well, whatever the picture impacts your everyday faith, it impacts the authenticity of your Christian lifestyle. People have different pictures of God. Some have pictures of a transcendent God who's completely different to us, outside our world. He's a higher power. They look up to God for motivation and energy. They can be God-fearing. They work hard to try and appease this God who is the higher power. For others, other people have this image of God as a judgmental scorekeeper. He's a heavenly figure whose predominant interest is in our faults. He disapproves of most of the things that we actually do and whose expectations we can possibly never meet. He judges and rejects us for being less than perfect. These kind of people hope that in the end their good choices We'll outweigh the bad ones and everything will be all right. For some, God's impersonal. He's an invisible force that exists in our universe. And through him, we can become one with creation. And so they try and do as many things as they can to become at one with God through creation. For some, God is seen as a benevolent figure. He enters our life occasionally to give us presents. He's nice to have around as long as everything's going well, but when disaster strikes, we certainly give up believing in him. Thank you very much. And then for others, God is a loving father to them, one who wants to know them personally so he can love, direct, and guide them and give them the very best. I have no idea what your image of God is this morning. It might be a mixture of some of or all of those things. But one thing I do know is you've got one. Because we all have one. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Last week on our Covenant Sunday, we were invited to respond to the love of God revealed to us. 
And one of the dangers I often feel about Covenant Sunday is that we do the day, we sign the card, we put it aside, and that's it. It's done for the year. Surely that's not what it's about. I wonder how many of you actually took that card last week and in your daily prayers this week have considered it again. Or is it now signed and in a drawer somewhere at home? The days are done with great sincerity, but the card is put to one side, as is the essence of the covenant that's made. Claire told us earlier about this Be Real campaign, using social media to promote authenticity in the way that we live. And for me, as I reflected on the covenant card that I signed last week, I've had it on my desk every day. I thought it could be broken down into three clear areas. And you know what? I want all those areas to be very real in my spiritual experience this year and beyond. And for me, the first area of my life that that card highlighted was there in the second paragraph. As your love lives in me, may my thoughts, words and actions reflect you at all times and in every place. Let's just deal with that this week. As your love lives in me, may my thoughts, words and actions reflect you. That's the essence of that paragraph. Reflect you. If my Christian life is to be real, then it has to reflect God. And if we are to practice authentic Christianity, then that has to start with an accurate picture of God. Not a false one, not an unreal one, but an accurate picture of God. So where do we start to get a picture of the God on whom we are supposed to reflect? Well, Scripture reveals many attributes of God. And you'd be pleased to know, to break up my voice, I've asked a number of people to share Scripture with us this morning. So let's begin with Isaiah chapter 45. Helen, you've got Isaiah 45. Read what Isaiah tells us about God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no other. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. So what does that tell us about God? Well, very simply, it tells us that the God of the Bible is the only true God. He's set apart from other gods. When I read that, there's almost a hint of jealousy. Our God is a jealous God. He is the only God. Let's move into the New Testament in Acts chapter 17. Who's got Acts chapter 17? Jen's got Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as he needed, as he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, but in him we live, move and have our being. 
Okay, so from that short passage from Acts chapter 17, we can deduce that God is independent. He's self-sufficient. He's self-existent. But we can also deduce that God is a God who wants to have a relationship with us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need any of us in creation. He's infinite. He was never created. He never came into being. He always has been. He's the supreme creator from whom all else has come. It's quite a fascinating little passage that gives us a little bit more about God. He never changes his character and his purposes never change. Mark, you've got Psalm 139 for us. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God exists everywhere at all times. He knows everything. He can't be contained by space. We're building up a picture of God all the time, just through three scripture readings. Finally, Benson, you've got Jeremiah for us, haven't you? Give us these two verses from Jeremiah. Savage Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and scriptures of harms. Nothing is hard for you. Nothing is hard for you. There is no one, there is nothing more powerful than God. So there we are. Hey, we've only done four scripture readings. We could be here all day building up a picture of God from the attributes that we read in the scripture. I've only scratched the surface. But you know what? We get a good picture of who God is. But all these things, these attributes, are incommunicable. What theologians call the incommunicable attributes of God. They cannot be passed on. You and I can't be all-knowing. You and I can't be omnipresent. These are attributes of God that are just within him. God's incommunicable attributes are those characteristics that can't be shared with those of us in his creations. They are the things that only God can have, and they are the things that make him distinct. They are the things that make God, God. They are his distinguishing features, and only he possesses them. But do you know what? These attributes, they give us the reason to revere, to worship, to trust and to praise him because he is different from us. So here we are. We're creating a real picture of God. God is distinct from mankind in his ability to be consistent in who he is and to do what he does perfectly. But do you know what? The good news is he's also created mankind with the ability to imitate his character in some ways. And these are his communicable 
attributes, things that you and me can imitate. God is holy, God is loving, God is just, God is good, God is merciful, God is gracious, God is faithful, he's truthful, he's patient, he's wise. And whilst we cannot become God, we can become like him by being these things. So there are certain things about the nature of God that we cannot, can be. And so when we make a covenant that says, may my thoughts... Words and actions reflect you at all times and in every place. It's these communicable attributes that we're called to reflect. We're called to be holy. We're called to be loving, just, good, merciful, gracious, fruitful, truthful, patient, wise. I'm always amazed when I'm watching the news and I'm watching a court case. There's always these court cases where they have to use artists' impressions of what's going on in the court. You know the ones I mean? They'll say, oh, we, we can't show you pictures, but they'll put on screen some quick chalk drawing that an artist who's been sat in the court actually tries to paint. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, do you know what? That looks nothing like him, does it? I see pictures of... Donald Trump in a court, and it's an artistic impression. That looks nothing like Donald Trump. <laughs> Keep your politics out of it, thank you. It's really difficult, actually, sometimes, to put into action what we cannot see. We saw that in the drawing. Poor Ava doing a little giraffe when actually it was a car. And I think that's the same for us. We are called to reflect something, a being we cannot see. The good news is, whilst we may not be able to see God's visible form with our eyes, God has actually given us plenty in life to focus on. We cannot see God's visible form with our eyes, but God has given us plenty in life that we should be focusing on. We read from Colossians earlier on. And in Colossians, there are two verses that just jump out to us. At the beginning of that passage, in verse 15, Paul, writing to the Colossians, says, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And then a few verses later, he goes on to add a little bit more to that description by saying God was pleased to have all his fullness dwelling Jesus. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he was challenged all the time and some of his disciples said some bizarre things to him. And you remember on that dialogue in John when he talks about being the, 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 going to prepare a place for others, Philip responds to that wonderful passage by saying this. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responds with such dejection. Though you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us 
the Father. You see, these texts remind us of an important truth. We are not called to reflect something we cannot see. God has planned and has given us a visible and tangible representation of himself. And he did so in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals God to us. The image of God that we have in our head might be incomplete because we've never seen the Almighty. But Jesus... Jesus reveals God to us to help complete that image. The communicable attributes of God, the holy, loving, just, good, merciful, gracious, wise natures, these are the ones that we see modeled in Jesus. Think about all the stories that you know about Jesus. He is modeling the things about God that we too can possess. Jesus came into the world to be the image, the likeness of God on earth. And our picture of God, therefore, must come from knowing Jesus as we meet him in Scripture. You and I can have a great image of God because of what we see in Jesus and what is revealed to us through Jesus in Scripture. The works and the character of Jesus shine brightly. And it's that that we are asked to reproduce in our own lives. In Jesus, God has revealed everything we need to know about him. He's revealed everything that we need to know him. And he's revealed everything that we need to make him known. Our covenant response on that little card said, as your love lives in me, may my thoughts, words, and actions reflect you. Reflect you. We've got a good image to reflect. We have a clear image to reflect. I do ask myself the question many times, and the reason I have this card in front of me, the reason I want to think about and ponder on this thing even more is, is it really possible for me to reflect the attributes of God that are seen in Jesus? Is that really possible? Can I do it? I don't seem to be very good at it at times. Archbishop William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury in the 40s, 50s, he used to say this, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, but I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, but I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like this. And if the spirit of Jesus could come into me, then I could live a life like his. In our own strength, Jesus' likeness is not attainable. 
but God has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to help us reflect and be a reflection of that which we cannot see. The covenant I signed last week needs to be real. And if my life is to be real, then it has to reflect God. And if we're going to practice authentic Christianity, then that has to start with an accurate picture of God. And in Jesus is the image of the invisible God and those beautiful communicable attributes of God, holy, loving, just, good, merciful, gracious, faithful, truthful, patient, wise, those things that God wants me to have are modelled in Jesus. So let's be real. Let's understand. Let's have an accurate picture of God and let's reflect that God in our daily lives. May it be so for each of us. You know, John Gowan's penned a very simple little chorus that helps me no end. I use it often because it sums up this idea of reflecting the image of God that I have, the image of God that I see in Scripture, the Son being the image of the invisible God. Because it simply says, to be like Jesus, this hope possesses me. In every hope, in every thought and deed, this is my aim, my creed. To be like Jesus, this hope is his spirit helping me. I can't do it on my own. I can't be Jesus without Jesus' spirit. But with it, like him, I'll be. Do you know what, friends? I want to be real. I want to be real and have a real image of God, a truthful picture of who he is. And I want to reflect that. Do you? May it be so for us all. Join with me as we sing together as our prayer. To be like Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus the Son. And it's that image, that picture of God, that each and every one of us in the covenant that we live out is aiming to reflect. May it be so. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you this morning with so many images, an image of who you are, a picture of 
who you are. It's in our heads. It's in our hearts. And that picture influences what we say, what we do, how we behave, how we act. And yet we know that it's at times an incomplete picture because we just aren't able to see you through our physical eyes. We know so much of your character from what the scripture reveals to us. We know that you're all-seeing, all-powerful. We know that you're the creator. We know that you're everywhere. We know all these massive things about you. And we know that you're unique in that way. But we also know that you've allowed us to have attributes within us that belong to you. That we too can be holy, loving, trusting, wise, faithful, fruitful, good, gracious. And it's these attributes we see in the life of Jesus. And so today, Lord, we commit ourselves again to want to have a good image of you, to want to see you for who you are. And having studied and seen you for who you are, to be able to reflect you at all times, in every place, through our thinking, through what we say, and what we do. So Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Give us your spirit to help us do just that. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.